0: I'm Kate Daniels. Shelley Touchluck is a professor of education at Mount St. Mary's University, Los Angeles. For over 18 years, she's worked with Aware LA, Alliance of White Anti-Racists Everywhere Los Angeles, to host dialogues and an annual four-day institute, Unmasking Whiteness, which leads white people into a deeper understanding of their personal relationship to race and systemic racism. Shelley is also the author of Witnessing Whiteness: The Journey into Racial Awareness and Anti-Racist Action in its 3rd edition. Professor Shelley Touchluck, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: This is such a hugely important conversation. That we are able to speak about your, the latest edition of Witnessing Whiteness, the journey into racial awareness and anti-racist action. This has been essentially a life's work for you, hasn't it? You
1: know, it has turned out to be, yes. It was not until I was actually already an adult in my mid-20s that I started to be asked to pay attention to myself with a racial lens. But it's been, you know, a couple of decades since then. And yes, it does feel like uh, quite a life's work now.
0: I think you bring to this then the awareness that there is this journey. There isn't where... There's a feeling of I'm colorblind that I think I one time used to think that too, and maybe not even that long ago, but that just doesn't fly anymore. We really need to have deeper understanding. And because of your own personal journey, I think you're able to really guide us and do this work in such a way that is really valid and validating.
1: Well, I hope that that's true. That's definitely my intent, mostly because I did get raised with that idea that being colorblind was a good idea and actually the way to be most useful in the world in regards to race. And it was quite a wake-up call when I learned that that was actually not useful. And it was a hard process for me to learn that to undo all of the training that i had had. And so I have set myself with the task of trying to help support other people who are raised like myself to come into a deeper awareness in a, a more rapid and useful and
0: effective way. That's the idea. Because we don't want it to take decades anymore. We would like to not necessarily have a crash course, but really gain that awareness and not have to learn through a long process. It's like really get it so we can move on and and really deeply come to a place of, of justice and fairness and equity.
1: Well, I think that's right. And you said the word journey before, and I take that very seriously because I don't think... It's a matter of, oh, I didn't know, now I know, now everything is great. It's not quite a black and white, turn on, turn off kind of switch. The coming to understand how whiteness functions as a system and how that translates into our daily lives, it's a really complicated thing, really, um, when you get into the nuance and the complexities. And so one feature of that journey for me was starting to, Try to figure out how I fit within the story of race, within history, and how I recognize myself as a person attached to a history that I wasn't really proud of and happy about in a lot of ways, and my own feelings about that translated into me treating other people in ways that sometimes was unkind and treating myself in ways that was unkind. And so some of my effort in trying to help people move more readily and rapidly through the discovery process is also about trying to uplift our own emotional health and well-being so that we can actually be better anti-racist people, more effective anti-racist people, because the shame and the guilt that so often becomes a weight um, can be reduced.
0: And yes, of course, you would say it so much more succinctly and clearly about us taking this journey more effectively and being able to... It could be so easy to get bogged down in the emotion and and then turn it into ourselves and feeling injured, whereas that's so off the mark of what this work is and, and our life is all about.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, is that the emotions can actually be a detraction from the work mm. that we're really to do, which is to... Hey, how do we get active? How do we improve the way that we do things, notice things, help support systemic change? All of those things that need to happen, we do it so much better when we are healthy within ourselves. And so a large part of this book really is sort of a psychological look so that we can see not just what has been the history, not just what is the sociology, not just what do we need to see and notice, but also How do we reconcile ourselves with it so that we can do, you know, what we we feel we need to do given our own individual context?
0: So this is the third edition. So it is different in what ways from when it first came out in 2007? Fifteen years. A lot has happened in just 15 years.
1: A lot has happened. That's right. Some of the big changes, um, you know, have to do with the fact that, at the time when the first and the second editions were published, this was back when you know, conversations about white fragility and white privilege were nowhere on the radar, nowhere on the map. This was back when Obama was first coming into presidency, and there was so much talk about us being beyond race and that the idea of being race conscious was seen as divisive and problematic. And... Right now, we are living in a time where the Black Lives Matter movement has raised consciousness that we need to see ourselves as a part of the racial conversation. And then of course, we have the politics surrounding the real culture wars that are really manipulating white identity, um, I think out of fear to try to move people into positions of defensiveness. And that really needs to be broken down um, much more strongly than it was previously.
0: And that's the thing that seems to have occurred. So looking back at 2007, 2010 and the Obama years, and here naively I was thinking, oh, we have made such progress. And, you know, things are looking so good. But it almost was like a 90 degree shift after that, that we got into, well, maybe even during his second term in presidency, that things really got so tough and so challenging. And is that maybe talking about emotion? Was that somewhere when something is drowning, there's a lot of kind of outburst of trying to stay alive?
1: That reminds me, there's a conversation that sort of says that what we're experiencing now as sort of a backlash um, against uh, the sort of social justice movements is sort of a last gasp of white supremacy. I've heard that a lot. Um, There's an argument to be made that there is a cultural movement that is so strong on the side of justice that it's got people who are invested in a more white supremacist or oppressive orientation for any of the sort of different identity pieces that there's there's something to be fearful of. And yet, if we look at the numbers, if we look at how politics are moving, the fact is the numbers are much, much stronger than we would like to see mm-hmm. of people who are still accepting a more oppressive orientation, um, both in, in regards to, to race and gender, et cetera. And I think to my mind, what often gets lost is the fact that, you know, racism, white supremacy, et cetera, it evolves. It evolves to fit the moment in order to continue to access power and to maintain power. And so we do need to stay connected to how are the shifts and changes happening that are continuing to injure, uh, you know, BIPOC people of color.
0: Right so that's good to get that clearer vision and from someone like yourself who's really paying close attention and at the university and really dealing with with a younger generation and then looking at just what exists in our society so i appreciate that viewpoint it helps me then not to be too categorized like oh this is As I said, that backlash type of thing is don't get too comfortable in uh, any of those sort of platitudes.
1: Yeah, it was actually a friend of mine who really called me into looking at these issues from a couple of different directions. And I think for myself as a white person, I do feel called to look in two different directions simultaneously. One of them is at myself, as well as the people around me, who consider ourselves to be well-invested in having a just multiracial democracy that is going to serve everyone and be inclusive. I want that. And I know that I still have my own sort of work to do to uncover and and figure out the areas where I still might step on toes in ways that are unintentional and yet damaging and to reach out to the people who are otherwise invested like me in being part of, you know, high quality society. Um, And then (laughs) I also need to be looking at the folks who are really advocating for hate Um, In my estimation, and, and those who are really coming from a more consciously bigoted perspective, and I need to pay attention to what's happening with them because that's a two pronged fight. One is the fight for what good well meaning people are doing as well as the fight against people who are really trying to do harm. And I need to be attentive to both of those things.
0: That takes a lot of energy which, of course, you're well aware of and need to do. And how challenging is that? Or I guess it's it's important, though, in order to be well-informed and to do the work that you're doing with teaching and with writing.
1: You know, it was more challenging before. I would say a number of years ago when my friend said, hey, you know, we need to really look at what the you know the far right is doing. We need to really look at what white nationalists are doing. A lot of people weren't paying attention. It's mainstream now, unfortunately, so all we have to do is pay attention to the news and we can pay somewhat attention of what's going on in that vein. Mm. But on the flip side of it, doing that internal work and paying attention to how do we stay invested for people who are you know, relatively well-intentioned but not fully committed and not active – There are so many networks and so many groups who are doing such wonderful work right now that really it's more motivating and energizing to be part of it, I have found. And so I recognize that it sounds to people like, oh, wow, it must be exhausting or really tiring, but it's not. (laughs) It's actually really engaging and energizing to be part of this work because what we are advancing is a different way of showing up for each other and for ourselves in the world. It's a more humane orientation to the world. And so I actually find the entire process of joining anti-racism a much more liberating experience, even for myself as a white person.
0: And what happens then and how it's playing out with this third edition is that it is more than focused on this work and doing it really uh, in workshops or as teams uh, so that we're really learning together. And that helps us to well, just kind of really improve better than, say, read the book and work on it individually.
1: Yeah, you're hitting a really important point, though, there, because I've had the great benefit of being part of an anti-racist community for about 20 years now. And what I have learned um, in talking about this book over time is that it really is more effective when people are coming together in order to explore the concepts together, talk about how they're responding to the ideas, get into the details and the nuance. And so, yeah, an uh, entire team of people helped me, uh, readers, readers came together, um, facilitators of the program. And have we've basically constructed an entire free curriculum that's available online that people can use to help create their own groups go through things together as a, whether it's five people in a living room or teaching a class or doing a faculty development or something in the community. Uh, but there are some places across the nation who have really developed strong programs that have been going on for years using the material. And so, yes, we're very excited to be un, you know, sort of unveiling the new third edition right now this, uh, this month, basically. <laughs>
0: And with this being done more in terms of groups, whatever size we we end up creating, this is really looking at at groups of, of white people. Or does it include BIPOC at all in some way? It certainly can. Um, the people that I know
1: who download the curriculum and then utilize it tend to be constructing white affinity spaces and there is no problem with that there's very good cause for for that to be the the use primarily and i also know people and i myself have helped lead groups that are open and are multiracial and that has gone well also now it's specific the people who are signing up are deciding you know i want to be with a group of people many of whom are going to be white people going through this discovery process for the first time. And so they're making a choice to sit with that process and be, be part of it. Um, I will say, though, I've learned not to count anybody out. Everybody gets to make their own choice of what environment they want to be in. And I've had a number of uh, Black and Latinx folks specifically tell me that they have found reading the book and being part of those dialogues rather other healing for them as well, because it really reveals sort of what white people are thinking about Mm -hmm. (laughs) when we talk about these issues. And some of the chapters really are highlighting multiracial connections and voices of people who have been having their own challenges and conflicts. And so, you know, getting into those, those nitty gritty conversations and hearing from white people and how they process it, it can be really revealing to anybody. Right
0: so we can see how that could be healing and we can learn so much. And I guess we just have to test it out and there's no set format to follow. You just find organically what is working and kind of form your group through that.
1: Well, I definitely have some facilitator guides in the curriculum. And so one important thing is that I'm also available to help people. And so, you know, If you look at the various materials, it gives you access points to come be part of conversations to help you brainstorm what is the right group to offer based on what your own expertise is. There are some people who have a lot of experience in this work and would do quite well um, partnering up and offering this as a multiracial space. There are other people for whom I would say, you know, that is not really where your skill set is at this time, nor is it where your investment or purpose is at this time. And I would say that the large, vast majority of people who do this work out in the field are doing it, mostly calling white people in.
0: And to me, that feels so, um, I'm going to say healthy. It feels good because it feels like we're really building more of a multicultural society. But I guess it's still ultimately how we get there may be different paths for different groups and different persons.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's room, right? There's room for white people to gather to talk about their experiences and to help share what they've learned and to hold each other up when we're confused to, you know, say, hey, you know, you made a mistake, let's get better, or to applaud each other when we do something good. Like, we need that. That's, there's nothing wrong with having that space to, to do that for one another. But the purpose of having that space is so that we're doing a better job in our interracial, multiracial spaces, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's our interpersonal experiences or looking at the systems that are happening in the institutions that we're a part of any of that we're going to be doing that in multiracial space and we're going to run into questions oh did i say that right did i say that wrong you know how do i understand the feedback that i'm getting how do i process my own emotions about the feedback that i'm getting a lot of that stuff why people can you know help each other out with and then, you know, we are less, quite frankly, needy when we are in our interracial, you know, dynamic
0: moments. And I'm glad you said that because I think we go through those kinds of emotions, and then getting to the point of needy, I I can appreciate where, from a black person's perspective or uh, Latino, that. It's like they've lived this. We don't need to be teaching you anymore or, or dealing with your stuff. We have our own. And so we, we as white people have to have a level of some awareness and, well, go back to the word needy, not demonstrate that because uh, it just falls so flat.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I really love looking at these things through the lens of racial identity development it's just been so useful for me. And so the book sort of frames it out. It's, it's not focused on it, but it frames it out. You know, there are sort of very typical experiences that we as white people go through when we start to look at race. And then there are typical reactions. And then some of them are helpful and some of them are not. And then there are some positions that we can get ourselves in that you know, we would be better off trying to bypass. (laughs) And so getting together with other white people who have been through some of that can really help us in that journeying so that we can arrive to the more useful and effective status points where we can really be effective partners, solidarity partners, uh, you know, for toward justice and whatnot. And that That's what really feels meaningful for me is that, you know, we're all in it together. It's about extending our hand, inviting people to move from where they are to the next step on their journey and learn how we can do a better job toward our larger goal by actually being healthier and more supportive to one
0: another. Oh, great. And so having been doing the work and evolving the work and the new book, and creating more of the workshop series that's available for us to work on. when you look at this, Shelley, are you feeling hopeful, optimistic? Oh, boy, those are two very different words. Oh, ok. <laughs> I'm absolutely hopeful. I am
1: hopeful. That's what keeps me getting up out of bed every morning. I am hopeful. I'm driven. I'm excited. Um, I love the passion that I see in people who are really dedicating to this work. I know that it's hard in some ways um, because there is so much critique to be navigated. And what really makes me filled with the sense of beauty and inspiration is that there are so many people who are grabbing hold of approaches that are really humane and really targeting how are we going to create a society that is more humane for everyone. And that includes me having to be more humane with myself, for everybody around me, so that we can get to that place where we really want to be, where everybody is treated with a just lens. So that feels great. And I am absolutely clear that we are on a nice edge in terms of this country and in terms of looking at the power positions that people have staked out. When we look at the numbers of people who are really subject to the disinformation, misinformation, and have been manipulated into seeing their white identity at risk. That is a completely other book, one that I've been working on that's coming out later on in the year. Mm. But that is not an optimistic place for me, but it is an energizing place for me because I know how much work we have to do in order to achieve the goals that we collectively have. I think that we can do it. And I think that love and support is the way that we're going to make that manifest.
0: Mm, That is hopeful. It makes me think about how using the workshops for us to develop more of our own racial identity to be able to feel more strongly about it, more sure-footed, would then, with that kind of love and support, is that a way to affect those who are on the other side who are just, you know, feeling so threatened or really don't believe that we should have the changes going on in our world?
1: You know, a lot of this is going to be one-to-one work, Mm. um, but we as white people are the ones who are closest with the other white people in, in the world. And so having ourselves clear about not just what we envision, what we want, but where we're situated within all of this and what kinds of approaches are actually useful versus not useful, it makes a difference. And my approach is is not about shaming or blaming or blocking people off. It's about saying, okay, how do we actually have a strategic approach to people individually who are maybe not where we want them to be, um, while at the same time we have people who are working really hard in sort of like battle mode when it comes to the politics and whatnot. I'll say it this way. There's a piece that I wrote that I refer to regularly. It's called On Ramps and Lanes on the Racial Justice Freeway. Easy to find on Medium. And what it really argues for is that there are so many different lanes that we could be in, in terms of advancing the work of justice, racial justice specifically. And no one lane is any more important than the other. So there are going to be people who are in HOV lane, the carpool lane, if you will, the organizers who are leading the charge and really rapidly trying to move things forward right next to those that might be considered radical. They're on the vanguard. They are seeing a vision far out ahead that is beautiful and important, and their tactics and speed might really scare people in other lanes, but those folks in other lanes are also doing good and important work, whether it's in their institutions or in their communities, in their schools. All of that is good and important too, as long as they are looking somewhat in that same ultimate direction. And what we can't forget about is that the slow lane is essential. Mm. The on-ramps are essential it's essential for people to position themselves in a place that allows people to come onto that racial justice freeway to not be so scared that they take the next off ramp. And so people who are serving in those positions, even if it seems slow and plodding, that's still really important work. So There's any message that my work and the book itself is offering is this both and of yes, yes to what you're doing and yes to what this other person is doing. They may not seem like the same thing, but they both are valid and valuable.
0: That is so great and really explains a lot. It's really respecting and honoring where each of us is, and it begins with ourselves. If we can be gentle with ourselves, respect that, and then we can do that with others as well. And then I like the fact that it might be one-on-one work with those who are maybe not coming along on the journey just yet.
1: I mean, it has to be right. That's the thing is the last few years I've really focused on learning the tactics and that the white nationalists are using to really manipulate a lot of young people into a position where no person who cares about justice wants them to be. And one of the biggest aha moments I had was recognizing that their strategies include one-to-one bit by bit acceptance and drawing people into a community. Mm -hmm. It's, helping people feel like they belong, helping people feel like there's people who care about them and who care about what their investments and interests are. And I believe that anti-racist people of all backgrounds can and should create that same large tent for all of us to offer our best selves and our best skills toward a just outcome. Yes. That's really important to me.
0: And you just express it so beautifully and express it as well through your writing, through witnessing whiteness. And this latest edition, The Journey into Racial Awareness and Anti-Racist Action, is really such a great volume that we can use individually or ideally in group settings, as we've already shared. So the book is readily available at all of our favorite book sources, correct?
1: Well, I hope so. I would say absolutely. Ask your favorite bookstore to pull it into their stock if they don't already have it. Online is very easy to find. Left Bank Books out of St. Louis has certainly got it. They have been working with a program that's been using this text for over a decade. Definitely check with your local stores first. And then also you may want to just check out the website, my website, ShellyTouchLick.com. That's S-H-E-L-L-Y. T-O-C-H-L-U-K.com, and that is where you can download the free curricular resources to use along with the text
0: great. And also see a TEDx talk, which I found to be really informative. So there's just such a wealth of information here to help us and to guide us. And and I appreciate that there might be situations. You said that you're available to help at times, Shelley. So perhaps if a group is really delving into something and needs some guidance, they can just reach out to you.
1: Oh, yeah. Go to my website and look at look for Join a Community. I've been part of the Aware LA community for about 19 years. We host online dialogues on a regular basis. I'm one of the people who hosts at least one of them. And we are a bunch of white folks who identify as anti-racist who get together these days, mostly online, in order to support each other. And you're any self-identifying white person is absolutely invited to attend and get support and become part of the community.
0: Wonderful. Oh, well, this has been just such valuable information. I am so grateful that we've had an opportunity to have at least a short conversation. Professor Shelley Touchluck. the work you're doing is so life-giving and so important to us. Thank you for spending time with us this morning.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you.